Chapter 4 Riva felt herself being dragged back. With a desperate burst of strength, she jerked herself free and spun around. Huh? Daddy? she cried. Don't use the employee's elevators, he told her, watching the doors slide shut. I've been having trouble with both of them. I've had the company working on them. Daddy, you frightened me, Riva exclaimed. He was panting loudly. He had run all the way down the hall to stop her. I'm sorry, Riva. They could be dangerous. They were supposed to put a sign up. Wow, Riva exclaimed. Wow. Her heartbeat was slowly returning to normal. It's never dull around here. She said goodbye to her father once again and made her way to the bank of main elevators. She rode down to the first floor, covering her ears to shut out the rum-tum-tums of the little drummer boy playing over the elevator loudspeaker. The store had been closed for nearly half an hour. The blue uniformed cleaning people were noisily hauling out their mops, buckets, and enormous vacuum cleaners. Several floor managers were rearranging shelves. Riva hurried through the aisles to the employee's exit. The store always gave her the creeps after the customers had left. The air was too still, the aisles too empty. The mannequins all seemed to be staring at her. There were too many frightening memories. Zipping her coat, she stepped out into a clear, cold evening. The violet sky sparkled with a thousand tiny stars. Her blue Dr. Martens thudded against the concrete as she made her way across the wide loading dock and down the shallow steps. A gust of wind rattled the chain-link fence that surrounded the asphalt lot. Fat brown leaves scrabbled against the fence as if trying to break through. Why does the employee parking lot have to be so far from the store, Reva wondered. She raised the collar of her coat and began to jog. It's so dark back here, she thought with a shiver. It wouldn't kill Daddy to put up a few lights. The gate at the end of the loading area came dimly into view. Beyond the gate stretched a narrow alleyway between two buildings. The parking lot stood at the end of the alley. Reva stepped through the gate and made her way quickly through the narrow passageway. The two buildings formed tall, dark walls on both sides of her. Her shoes crunched over broken glass and old snow. The wind whistled through the alley, pushed against her as if trying to drive her back. She was about halfway through the dark tunnel when she heard the footsteps behind her, slow at first, then picking up speed. Reva's breath caught in her throat. The wind howled. She could hear the footsteps over the wind, closer, closer, more than one person. She froze, then forced her legs to move. Gripping her coat collar with both hands, she lowered her head against the wind and ran. Gray light shimmered at the end of the alley. Reva ran toward the light. She nearly tripped over an empty Coke can. It clattered noisily, bouncing over the asphalt. The footsteps were close behind. How many people were there? How many people were chasing her? She didn't turn around. She kept her head lowered against the whistling wind. The gray light opened like a mist at the end of the passageway. She gasped for breath, running at full speed, running to the light. The row of cars came into view as she stepped out of the darkness. The lot stretched in front of her. White light from tall poles bounced off the cars like bright comets. Riva spotted her new red Miata alone by the fence in the first row. If I can get there, I'll be safe, she thought. Safe. Safe from whom? Who could be chasing her? And why? Without slowing, she turned her head and recognized the man and woman. Two sales managers from the store. They waved goodnight to each other and hurried across the lot to their cars. Riva stopped a few yards from her car, gasping for breath, her chest heaving. She watched the car lights come on after the two store employees climbed into their cars. I'm such an idiot, Riva told herself. She realized she was still gripping her coat collar with both hands. Staring across the lot as the car started up, she released her coat and lowered her arms. 
I'm an idiot, she said aloud. An idiot. Why did I assume they were chasing me? Why did I allow myself to become so frightened? I never used to be like that. Never. Reva, get a life, she scolded herself. I'm losing it. I'm really losing it, she murmured, shaking her head. She reached into her car pocket and pulled out her car key. Her hand trembled as she unlocked the driver's door. She slid into the leather seat, pulled the door closed, and locked it. Then she tucked her hands into her coat pockets and sat still, very still, staring out into the parking lot, waiting for her breathing to return to normal, waiting for her fear to fade. I have to stop scaring myself, she thought, watching as a few other store workers crossed the lot and climbed into their cars. I have to stop it, right now. I'm Riva Dalby, and I'm not scared of anything, she said out loud. The sound of her voice, smooth and steady, was somehow comforting. She turned the key in the ignition, clicked on the headlights, and steered the car toward the exit. Division Street was backed up for blocks, probably an accident. With an exasperated groan, Riva turned off Division onto a side road. I'll go the back way, she told herself. In the rearview mirror, she saw the car behind her make the same turn. Normally, it was only a 20-minute drive from the store to her home in North Hills, the expensive and exclusive section of Shadyside. Riva knew there was no real reason to hurry. With Michael away in St. Croix, Yvonne, his nanny, had been given the holidays off, so the house would be empty. But Riva hated to be caught in traffic. It was so frustrating. And she was a girl who didn't like to be frustrated in any way. She wheeled the little Miata around a corner, sped past a block of small, box-like houses, then made a sharp turn past a dark, deserted playground. Lights flashed in her rearview mirror. Glancing up, Riva saw that the car behind her had made the same sharp turn. The glare of headlights hid the driver from view, but she could see that the car was old and beat up. A Plymouth, she thought. He's not following me, she told herself aloud, pushing her foot down on the gas pedal. The little car shot forward. Don't start freaking out again, Riva. He's not following you. He's not. She spun the wheel hard and made a sharp turn onto Park Drive. Houses and trees and hedges whirred by on both sides. Riva studied the rearview mirror. Twin lights rolled across the back window. The Plymouth had turned, too. I'm not imagining it. That car is following me, Riva realized with a shudder. But why? Chapter 5 I followed her, Press said. I followed her all the way home, just to see which way she went. Then I took off. He held the ketchup bottle over the hamburger and shook it hard. Then he held the bottle still, staring down at the plate as the ketchup puddled onto the meat. Like a little hamburger with your ketchup? Diane asked, shaking her head disapprovingly. She had her white blonde hair tied under a blue and white bandana, but several strands had frizzed out and fallen over her pale forehead. I like a lot of ketchup, Press muttered, watching the thick red sauce spread over the bun and onto the plate. Should I ask for another bottle? Diane asked sarcastically. Or maybe a glass? You could just drink your ketchup. He didn't reply. Instead, he gestured to the plate of french fries in front of her. Is that all you're going to eat? Yeah, I'm on a diet. She reached across the formica table and dipped a fry into the puddle of ketchup on his plate. Get your own, he snapped. They were sitting across from each other in a dark booth in the back of Freddy's, a small coffee shop in the old village of Shadyside. The narrow restaurant smelled of strong coffee and fried onions. Press and Diane were the only customers. Press lifted the hamburger with both hands and took a big bite. Ketchup ran down his chin. He glared across the table at Diane. Why are you staring at me like that? I'm waiting to hear the rest of your story, she replied, waving a french fry between two fingers but not eating it. You said you followed her? 
Yeah, I followed her, he replied, chewing as he talked. I'm pretty sure she didn't notice me. You were careful? He nodded, wiping his chin with a paper napkin. I stayed pretty far back. She didn't see me. I've been following her all week, you know, getting her routine down. And? Diane asked impatiently, dropping the french fry, her gray-blue eyes trained on him. He swallowed a mouthful of hamburger. Here's the scoop, he replied, lowering his voice and leaning across the table, even though there was no one near. Dolby leaves the house for work promptly every morning at seven. You can set your watch by him. Does Riva go with him? Diane asked, whispering too. Press shook his head, his black hair falling over one eye. He pushed it back off his forehead. No way. The princess leaves around nine, sometimes a little later. She drives a new car, a little red Miata. Diane gazed at him thoughtfully. She grabbed the french fry and shoved it into her mouth, chewing rapidly, like a rabbit, not taking her eyes off press. What about servants? Is there a maid, a housekeeper? He took a long sip of coke. I crept up to the house yesterday morning after Riva left and checked it out. There's no live-in help. A maid arrived about ten minutes after Riva headed off to work. That's all. No one else. It can't be that easy, Diane said, trying to tuck her hair under the kerchief. Can I have some of your fries? Press asked. He grabbed a handful before Diane could reply. I'm starving tonight. Do we have any money to pay for this? Diane asked, glancing toward the waiter, who was at the front near the door, leaning against the wall, reading a newspaper. I've got a few bucks left, Press told her, patting his back jeans pocket. He reached across the table and squeezed her hand. In a few days, we won't have to worry any more. He grinned at her with his Elvis grin. Diane could never resist that sexy grin. She smiled back at him. As soon as we're rich, I want to go to every movie in town. Ten movies a day. I want to see everything five times. He raised a finger to his lips, motioning for her to lower her voice. There was just one minor problem at Dolby's house, he told her, his grin fading. What minor problem? The guard dog, he replied. A big, ugly monster. Huh? Did he go after you when you went up to the house? Press shook his head. He was on a chain. I think they only unleash him at night. Then, he's no problem? Diane asked anxiously. Probably no problem, Press replied. Diane narrowed her eyes, thinking hard. Let's go over this carefully, she said, resting her chin in one hand. After her father leaves at seven, Princess Riva is all alone in the house for two hours. Yeah, that's right, Press said, greedily finishing off her french fries. She must be asleep until at least 8.30. She doesn't open her bedroom blinds until then, and there's no one else there. So, the best time to grab her is at the house before she wakes up, Diane said, thinking out loud. Yeah, Press agreed quickly. Piece of cake. Then, let's kidnap her tomorrow morning, Diane said, an eager smile spreading across her face. Chapter 6 The windshield and windows were clouded over with thick white mist. Pale light filtered in from the full moon above. Outside the car, the air hung cold and still. The bare tree branches clung together as if trying to keep warm. Victor had turned off the engine after parking on the cliff edge. For a while, before they started to kiss, they had stared out through the windshield, gazing down at the town of Shadyside spread out below. River Ridge, the tall rock cliff overlooking the Kononoka River, was a popular parking spot for Shadyside High students. But on this frosty night, Victor's car was the only one there. Staring out at the star-dotted sky, Victor huddled in his down jacket and wondered if this was really happening. As the windshield started to fog up, she leaned over, wrapped her hands, warm hands, around his neck, and pulled him to her, and started to kiss him. She moved her mouth over his, 
tiny sighs escaping her lips. Her warm hands, surprisingly strong, held him tightly, pressing his face to hers. The kiss lasted a long time. When he finally ended it, reaching up to pull her hands from the back of his neck, Victor was breathing hard. His face felt hot. His heart pounded. She smiled at him, a devilish smile, then lowered her forehead to the shoulder of his coat. We shouldn't be up here, Victor stammered. She giggled and brushed his hot cheek with her lips. No, really, he insisted, his voice sounding tight and shrill in the heavy air in the small car. Well, we shouldn't. I mean... Reva squeezed his hand. It's okay, she whispered, her blue eyes glowing in the pale moonlight that filtered through the windshield. But it isn't right, Victor insisted, turning to face her. Pam and I, we're serious about each other. We... Reva snickered. You're a serious guy, aren't you? She said teasingly. When you called me tonight, I didn't know. I mean... Victor struggled for words. Reva didn't give him a chance to protest. She reached up and pulled his head down to her again. Then she pressed her lips against his. Hard. Harder. She kissed him until she could barely breathe. He's so good-looking, she thought. I had to call him. I couldn't resist. She let her coppery hair fall over his face and kissed him again. Reva chuckled to herself. She wondered what her cousin Pam was doing right then. Waiting by the phone for Victor to call? Pam is such a loser, Reva thought scornfully. Victor is just too good-looking for a loser like Pam. Diane grips the steering wheel tightly in both cold hands. The heater still wasn't working. She glared at Press. Will you stop cracking your knuckles? She demanded shrilly. I thought you said you weren't nervous. Press gave the knuckles one more loud pop, then lowered his hands to his lap. I, uh, I'm not nervous. I'm a little excited. I never kidnapped anyone before, you know? Neither have I, Diane replied sharply. So stop trying to drive me crazy. First you wouldn't stop tapping your foot. Now you're cracking your knuckles till I'm ready to scream. Press turned his gaze to the Dalby house at the top of the sloping lawn. Sorry, he muttered. Look, there goes Dalby. Press's beat-up Plymouth was parked at the curb three houses down, the engine running. From there, Press and Diane could see a corner of the Dalby's big stone house and the three-car garage beside it. A silver Mercedes pulled out of the drive between two tall hedges, stopped at the street then headed to the right, away from where Press and Diane watched. It's not bright enough, Diane complained. I really can't see him. It's him, Press said in a whisper, his eyes trained on the Mercedes until it disappeared down the tree-lined block. There goes Mr. King of the World Dalby. Leaving his princess all alone, Diane said. She shifted into drive. Shall we get going? Press put a hand over hers to stop her. No, wait. Let's wait to the ten minutes. Make sure Dalby doesn't come back. Diane obediently shifted back into park. She sighed impatiently. What time is it? Press glanced at the dashboard clock, then remembered it was stuck at 3.30. Must be a little after 7. I told you, Dobby leaves at 7. I watched four mornings in a row. He's always right on schedule. He started to crack his knuckles. Remembering Diane's protests, he stopped himself. A car rolled by, a station wagon loaded with kids. Press ducked low in the passenger seat and turned his face away. Oh, sigh, Diane murmured. I wish this was over. And we were home, counting our money, Press added, tapping his fingers on the knees of his jeans. Where's her bedroom? Upstairs or down? Diane asked, her tight voice revealing her nervousness. Upstairs. On the left, Press answered. I watched the light go on two different nights. I know how to find it. Diane tugged at a strand of hair that tumbled out from a black baseball cap, pulled low over her forehead. Her worried expression suddenly changed. She flashed Press a toothy smile. 
This really is like the movies, isn't it? She exclaimed. Press didn't smile back. He narrowed his dark eyes. Yeah, but I don't exactly feel like a movie star, he said dryly. You will when we have a million dollars, Diane insisted. Let's get it over with, he said. Come on, pull up. He motioned with both hands. Diane shifted into drive and inched the car along the curb until they were at the Dolby's driveway. Should I pull up the drive? she asked, peering at the tall hedges that surrounded the Dolby property on all sides. No. Keep it here, Press instructed, by the drive. But don't block the drive. It might look suspicious. He grabbed the door handle. And keep the engine going. Once we've got her, we have to bomb out of here. Fast. He started to push open the passenger door. Hey, kiss for luck, Diane called after him. He leaned toward her and accepted a quick kiss. Then he jumped out of the car and hurried toward the driveway, his head low, his hands buried in his jacket pockets. The morning sun was a red ball climbing up to Dolby's enormous house. Press's breath came out in puffs of white steam as he jogged toward the side of the house, keeping in the deep shadow of the tall hedge. He was halfway up the drive when he saw the black Doberman attack dog coming for him. Press stopped short. Hey, where's your chain? he called. The big dog lowered its head and snarled at a warning. Its eyes flashed red and locked on Press. It pulled back its lips and, with another furious snarl, bared its teeth. Press fought back the wave of fear that surged over him. I'm ready for you, doggy, he called. His hand was trembling as he reached into his jacket pocket. He kept his eyes on the growling dog. The dog stopped at the edge of the driveway, preparing to attack. Press pulled out the strips of bacon he had brought and thrust out his hands to show the dog. Bacon, he cried. No dog can resist bacon, right? Press tossed the bacon onto the grass. Go get it, boy. See? Press is your friend. The dog ignored the bacon. Opening its jaw and pulling back its lip to bare its teeth, the Doberman left for Press's throat. Chapter 7 Press cried out as the snarling dog attacked. He thrust up both arms to shield himself. The weight of the big Doberman forced Press to stagger back into the hedge. The dog's mouth closed around the sleeve of Press's leather bomber jacket and held on. Press frantically reached with his free hand into his jacket pocket. Struggling to shake his jacket sleeve free from the dog's grasp, he pulled out a chloroform-soaked handkerchief. Wrenching his arm free, he grabbed the dog's snout. Yah! Press cried out as the dog nipped his hand. The Doberman snapped its jaws, pulled back its head, then let out a snarl of rage as it struggled to squirm free. But Press held on to the dog, wrapping his hand around its snout, holding its mouth shut as he pressed a chloroformed handkerchief over the dog's nostrils. The dog's chest heaved. Its head snapped back as it struggled to breathe. Got to hold on. Got to hold on, Press told himself. The animal's eyes glared angrily at Press. Its head twisted one way, then the other. Then the eyes closed. The struggle ended. The dog slumped heavily to the ground with a long groan. Press stepped back. Swallowing hard, he stared down at the dog. It lay stretched out on its side, its jaws open wide, breathing steadily, quietly. Press stuffed the chloroformed cloth back into his pocket and zipped the pocket shut. Always be prepared, he thought. That's my motto. He stood in the shade of the hedge for a moment, observing the unconscious dog waiting for his own breathing to return to normal. He touched the back pocket of his jeans, made sure the small pistol was still there. He could have used it on the dog, he knew. It would have been quicker, easier, but noisy. A pistol shot might have awakened Princess Riva sleeping upstairs, and Preston didn't want that. He wanted to save that pleasure for himself. 
feeling a little better, his blood still pumping at his temples, Press examined the sleeve of his bomber jacket. Just a slight scratch, no big deal. With a last glance at the defeated guard dog, he quickly made his way around the side of the house to the back door. Two of the three garage doors were open. He could see Reva's red Miata parked inside. Nice car, he thought, stopping at the back stoop to admire it for a moment. Maybe I'll get one of those with the ransom money. He snickered to himself. Maybe I'll get two. First things first, he muttered to himself. He pulled a small silver pistol from his back pocket. Stepping up to the back door, he tapped the gun grip a few times against the pane of glass closest to the doorknob. The rising sun reflected in the window glass. The kitchen on the other side of the door lay mostly hidden in long shadows. Easy does it, Press muttered. He tapped the gun handle a few more times, testing the glass, testing his touch. He tapped it harder. Harder. He gave the window pane a hard hit. The glass cracked, then shattered, dropping onto the kitchen floor. Press reached inside the window, fumbled around till he found the lock, and turned it. A second later, he was standing in the kitchen. Wow, he whispered to himself, glancing around quickly. The kitchen was bigger than his entire apartment, bigger than some houses he'd been in. Look at that, he marveled. Two refrigerators. How much can people eat? He forced himself to stop sightseeing. Taking a deep breath, the pistol still clenched in his hand, he made his way to the front hall. The dark carpet was thick and plush. His sneakers sank into it. His footsteps were silent. The hall stretched on endlessly. Big oil paintings cover the walls on both sides. Press glanced into the living room, still filled with the same delicate antique furniture. He paused at the bottom of the carpeted stairway, leaning against a smooth polished wood banister. He listened. Silence. Beautiful silence. He was all alone. All alone in Dalby Land. Just me and Reva, he thought, gazing up at the steep stairway. This is going to be a piece of cake. Piece of cake. Holding a pistol at his waist, he started up the stairs to Reva's room. Chapter 8 Where is he? Diane asked herself, leaning over the steering wheel, trying to see up to the Dobby's house. What's taking press so long? She had the engine running and the heater on full blast, even though it didn't do any good. Diane still felt cold all over. Her throat ached, suddenly dry as cotton. Press, where are you? Press had instructed her not to move but she decided she had to have a better view. She shoved the gear shift into drive and inched the car forward until she could see up the long driveway. Hurry, hurry, Press. What was that dark lump by the side of the driveway? At first, Diane thought it was some kind of black plastic garbage bag. Squinting through the passenger window, she saw it was a dog. Press must have had to use the chloroform, she realized. Diane was still staring at the unmoving dog when she heard the sirens. Her hand trembling, she rolled down the window to hear better. The sirens were a faint wail on the still air. Far away, Diane realized. She held her breath, listening hard. The sirens were getting louder. Closer. Police sirens. They're coming here. To the Dalby's house, Diane told herself. Press must have tripped some kind of burglar alarm. A chill of fear made Diane shudder. She rolled up the window, but the sour wail of the sirens lingered in her ears. She gazed up the long drive to the house. The red sun was up to the roof now, the house bathed in early morning light. Press, where are you, Press? Please, get out of there. The sirens grew louder. Diane's panic began to constrict her breathing. Press had been inside for only a few minutes, but she was losing all sense of time. She pressed down on the gas pedal, and the engine responded with a roar. 
she shifted into drive. Press? I don't want to leave you here, she thought, staring frantically at the house. I don't want to leave you here. But if the police are coming, I have no choice. She squeezed the wheel in her icy hands. If the police come, I'm out of here, she cried aloud. She leaned against the wheel, every muscle in her body tensed, listening, listening as the sirens droned closer. Press crept along the endless upstairs hall, his sneakers sinking into the thick white carpet. Yellow morning sunlight poured in from a skylight overhead. So many rooms, Press thought, shaking his head. He'd never been up here. He peeked into an open doorway, a king-sized bed, unmade, a satiny quilt half on the floor, silky sheets crumpled over it, stood on a diagonal in the center of the room, dark bookshelves lined one wall from floor to ceiling. A low, sleek dresser stood against the opposite wall with an enormous mirror above it. A widescreen TV was perched on a cabinet across from the bed. This must be the master bedroom, Press realized. He couldn't resist spying. He took a cautious step into the room, his eyes darting around, taking in everything. Beyond the bedroom, the light had been left on in an enormous bathroom. Through the bathroom doorway, Press could see a jacuzzi. I'll get one of those when I'm a millionaire, he thought. I'll have a big house like this one, with a hundred rooms with carpet as soft as a feather bed. And I'll buy a pinball machine. Two pinball machines. No, a whole room full of pinball machines. He backed out of Robert Dalby's bedroom suddenly remembering his mission. First, I have to get Riva. Her bedroom had to be the next one down on the other side of the hall. The door was closed. Silently, his heart beginning to pound, Press made his way across the hall. His shadow, cast by the skylight overhead, fell over Riva's door. Press took a deep breath. Then, raising the pistol, he turned the knob and pushed open Riva's bedroom door. Good morning, he called. Chapter 9 Diane was so frightened she felt like screaming. Her impulse was to honk the horn, to signal Press that he had to get out of there. What's keeping him? What's keeping him? Couldn't he find Riva's room? He claimed he had scoped it out, that he knew where it was. He claimed this was going to be a breeze. No big deal. So where was he? Was Riva giving him trouble? Did he run into someone else in the house? Had they captured him? Knocked him unconscious? Tied him up? Called the police? What? 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 A million questions roared through her head, but they were being drowned out by the shrill sirens. Closer. Closer. It's the police, Diane knew, and they're only a few blocks away. Press set off an alarm. I've got to get out of here. But how can I leave him? She rolled down the window, the sound of the sirens growing even louder. She stuck her head out and stared up the driveway. Press. Please hurry. Please. We're going to be caught. Can't you hear the sirens? We're going to be caught. Good m morning, Press stammered in a high, tight voice he didn't recognize. He stepped into Riva's bedroom and stared at the bed, the empty bed. The pillow lay on the floor. The blankets had been tossed in a heap on the floor. White and red striped pajamas were balled up in a corner of the bed. Press took in the empty room, his mouth hanging open. Stunned, he froze, still as a statue. He stared hard as if staring would make her appear, as if he were only imagining that the bedroom was empty. Hey! The sound of his own voice snapped him back to reality. Hey! Then he heard the sirens. The bedroom window was open just a crack. The flimsy white curtains fluttered gently. The rise and fall of the shrill sirens floated in through the window. Sirens? So close? Oh, wow, Press uttered. He realized instantly what had happened. 
he must have set off a silent burglar alarm when he broke the window in back. A burglar alarm hooked up to the shady side police. Now they were on their way, almost here judging by the sirens. And there he stood, staring at an empty, unmade bed. Ah! A roar of anger and frustration burst from his chest. Reva, where are you? he screamed. Then, gaining control, he turned and ran from the room, into the long, sunny hall, his sneakers padding over the thick white carpet, his shadow fleeing just ahead of him. Past Salby's luxurious bedroom, to the shiny, banistered stairway. Reva, where are you? Where did you go? How did you escape? How did you mess up my plans? Down the stairs, two at a time, leaning on the sleek banister, the pistol still in his hand. The front hallway, a blur of green and brown. The front door, his only obstacle to escape. Press fumbled with the chain. The sirens sounded as if they were right outside. In the driveway? No. Please no. He turned the lock. He pulled open the heavy oak door. Outside now, he ran down the driveway. Ran past the still unconscious dog. Ran so fast his chest felt about to burst. Diane! He called her name as he pulled open the passenger door and dived into the seat. The sirens were so loud now, so loud and close, just around the corner. Diane, go! But, but, Reva! She gaped at him, her features twisted in confusion. Just drive, he screamed. Go! Okay, press. Diane grabbed the wheel with both hands, leaned forward, stepped on the gas, and the car stalled out.